This podcast exists for entertainment purposes only. Before making any investment decisions, please contact your financial advisor. All right, guys, welcome back to Man vs. Market. This is the second episode of this new series that I'm doing, and I just wanted to say thank you very much for making the first episode have as much success as it did. There were way more views, way more downloads than I would have expected, and I think we're off to a pretty good start, and that's all thanks to you guys. So that gives me a lot of motivation to continue this series, and hopefully you guys enjoy this one. One last thing before we get started. Going forwards, I think I'm going to be releasing episodes every Sunday in order to give me enough time to process the information we saw from the week before and give a timely release before the next week. Now, getting right into it, let's take a look at the S&P 500. The S&P 500 finished the week down 2.25%, despite at one point being down over 6.3%. This puts us at six straight red weeks for the stock market, something we haven't seen since 2011. We now sit right on the cusp of a bear market. Again, a decline of more than 20% from the highs is what classifies a bear market. And we are almost 16.5% below the highs where we stand today. Now, as far as the immediate future goes, it looks like we may see continued selling if some of the technical patterns that we've seen recently continue playing out. A strong bullish divergence on the 65-minute chart midway through this last week did play out as we did see a nice end-of-the-week rally. Now, a strong bullish divergence is identifiable by seeing lower lows in the price action and higher lows in an oscillator like the MACD or the RSI. However, it looks like there may be a potential hidden bearish divergence shaping up. This is a bit of a rarer signal, and it occurs when we see lower highs in the price with higher highs in an oscillator. This continuation pattern might mean we aren't close to a bottom yet, but again, technical analysis can only make predictions based off of probabilities. Anything can happen. Now, if we are looking at pure technicals, the downside looks a little bit more attractive for next week than the upside. Clearly, the market is reacting very negatively to the fundamentals like high inflation, increased interest rates, and a prospective recession on the horizon. Stocks also really didn't love some of the economic data that has been released recently. Let's take a look at the recent FOMC minutes release, as well as the CPI data for April. FOMC stands for Federal Open Market Committee and consists of 12 members who make very key decisions on interest rates and the growth of the United States money supply. Last Wednesday on May 4th, the FOMC minutes from their most recent meeting were released to the public and revealed some pretty interesting information. The Federal Reserve announced that they would be hiking interest rates by 50 basis points. This would be the first time we have seen a 50 basis point hike since May of 2000. Now, for those who don't know, a basis point represents 1 100th of 1%, and they are mainly used when talking about interest rates. So when we say 50 basis point hike, that means that interest rates are increasing by 0.5%. However, the biggest news of the day came later when it was announced that a 75 basis point hike would be off the table, at least for the rest of the year. This is a big deal because we haven't seen a 75 basis point hike since November of 1994, and the markets were implying that we would likely see a 75 basis point hike at some point. This is why as soon as we knew it wasn't going to happen, markets rallied over 3%. 
This is because increased interest rates decentivize investment because of the new increased cost to borrow capital. Central banks will increase interest rates to decrease the demand in an economy. This helps cooling off an overheated economy and will help slow inflation. So it intuitively makes sense why the stock market would rally on this news. However, it was met with a 3.6% decline the next day. This is a perfect example of a principle that I teach to all who are trying to understand the stock market. That is, that every reaction is an overreaction, and that every overreaction is quickly corrected. Just this last Wednesday on May 11th, the Consumer Price Index for the month of April was released, and the market had mixed feelings about it. The numbers revealed that the 12-month change in inflation now sits at 8.3%, which on the one hand does show a deceleration from the 8.5% we were seeing the month prior, but on the other hand, we are still near 40-year highs. Though this number is pretty high, we are still seeing even higher rates of inflation in other major economies around the world. For example, the UK is seeing inflation at about 10% year-over-year. Ironically, the same day that the CPI was released, gas prices hit their all-time average high in the United States at $4.40 a gallon. Regardless, the CPI data even furthered the sell-off that we are seeing in equity markets. To make matters even worse for assets, we saw the dollar rally another 0.9% to the upside this week. The dollar has not seen strength near these levels for an extended period of time since the early 2000s. Remember, a stronger dollar means that it now takes less dollars to purchase the same asset, as well as decreases foreign consumption of American goods due to the new increased cost. This is another reason that stocks continue to struggle, as they have historically at this phase in the business cycle. Alternative investments, however, can act as great hedges or even do well during times like these. Typically, as we head into recessions or begin seeing economic decline, investors will move their money out of more speculative assets like stocks and into more conservative ones like bonds and commodities. Today, we are going to analyze some of the major commodities and determine which ones have the most potential for the rest of the year, and the best way to play that upside. First, we're going to take a look at one of the hottest commodities of the year, as well as one of the most important ones, oil. Oil prices were hovering just near $75 a barrel at the beginning of this year. Supply chain issues early in the year brought us up to about $94 per barrel before Russia's invasion of Ukraine and the following disruption of the oil market brought us all the way up to $130 a barrel at one point. Now, we sit at $110 a barrel as we watch the conflict continually unfold. Many indicators point to a relief in the oil market coming soon. For example, in the futures market, oil prices are cheaper in future month contracts than current month contracts. This is called backwardation and is typically bearish. However, there are some other signs pointing to something different. First, we also have to consider the possibility in which the European Union bans the import of Russian oil. This would cut the available supply even more dramatically, resulting in much higher prices globally. There are also plenty of supply chain issues that have yet to be sorted out. Not to mention that oil prices tend to increase during the summer months regardless. The technicals are also pointing to more oil upside with the recent breakout of the bullish pennant. 
A bullish pennant is a pattern that consists of a steep upwards move on high volume, followed by a consolidation period on lower volume in which the highs and lows slowly converge in a triangle-like shape. Last, a breakout to the upside on high volume near the tip of the pennant is a bullish signal. It looks like that oil may have just made the breakout that we have all been anticipating. This could bode well for energy stocks like we talked about last week. The ticker XLE is how I will continue to play this. We are seeing an eerily similar chart if we take a look at wheat, another super important commodity. Combined, Russia and Ukraine make up 28% of the global wheat exports, and in a time where both are either underproducing or are unable to export their wheat, higher prices have followed. We are seeing a similar bullish pennant breakout on wheat prices globally, and should expect the price of food to continue to rise. Now, this is where it gets interesting. Moving over to metals, we arguably see some even better opportunities. First, we look at gold, a metal that has held significant value in virtually every society that has ever existed, and for good reason. In U.S. economic history, we've seen money move into precious metals before almost every recession, which in itself should be a reason to buy. However, there are some unique technical patterns that show a potential once-in-a-generation move might be coming, and could help bring on a new commodity supercycle. A commodity supercycle is an extended period of time in which commodities, and especially metals, trade well above their average ranges for long periods of time, usually several years. If we take a look at the one-week chart for gold going back 15 years, we can see a very clear cup and handle pattern taking shape. A cup and handle pattern is a very bullish pattern that typically takes a very long period of time to play out, and usually the longer the pattern, the more bullish it becomes. And this pattern has been forming for well over a decade and looks absolutely primed for a breakout to the upside. The cup and handle pattern consists of a long cup-like formation followed by a decline in the price, forming the handle before a breakout to the upside, and currently it looks like we are potentially finishing up that long-term handle. To make things even more interesting, if we take a look at the one-day chart for the last three years or so, we see another cup and handle forming on this smaller time frame, where this cup and handle makes up a part of the handle of the longer time frame. This means that we are potentially seeing bullish signals fundamentally, as well as in both midterm and long-term timeframes. Gold currently trades near $1,800 per ounce, and although this might be a little optimistic, I definitely think we could see something close to $2,200 an ounce within the next year. There are two different ways that I am looking to play this upside going forwards. First, through the ticker GLD. This ETF tries to replicate the performance of gold through their massive physical holding of actual gold. And though it's not perfect, it does seem to perform very similarly to the metal itself. The second way is through the ticker UGL. This is a two times leveraged gold ETF and is much more sensitive to price changes. So a long bullish move upwards in gold would affect UGL much more than a ticker like GLD. However, due to the extreme volatility and risk involved, I will have a much smaller position in UGL, and in total, my gold holdings will consist of two-thirds GLD and one-third UGL. Now that we know I'm super bullish on gold, I want to talk about what this could mean for gold's little brother, silver. Currently, silver is trading at a much cheaper $21 an ounce, 
though the data says it actually might be ridiculously undervalued at the present time. Where we currently stand, the gold to silver ratio is about 85 to 1, meaning you could buy 85 ounces of silver for every 1 ounce of gold. This ratio is near its all-time high. Historically, this ratio has actually been closer to about 15 to 1, and if we were seeing prices acting according to this ratio, then silver prices should be somewhere near $120 an ounce. The crazy thing is that many analysts believe that we could see this ratio come back down to earth over the next few years or so due to our current hawkish interest rate environment. This doesn't mean that gold is due to come down, but more likely that silver is due to go up. Similar to the gold idea, I'll be playing two ETFs, SIVR, one that closely replicates silver, and AGQ, one that is more aggressively bullish. Again, I'll be putting two-thirds into the ticker SIVR and one-third into the ticker AGQ. My prediction for today is that both silver and gold will outperform the S&P 500 over the rest of the year. However, our addition of a leveraged position creates a little bit of additional risk, meaning that if we do see a solid year for metals, our positions will do exceptionally well, but if metals slack, it wouldn't be pretty. But regardless, I want enough exposure in metals in order to take advantage of the move that I fully expect to come. Thanks for listening to the second episode of my podcast. If you learned anything or want to see more episodes like this, consider leaving a review and sharing with your friends. On that note, I'm going to end it here. I'll talk to you guys next week.